Hey guys, welcome to Debrief. This is David and myself. We also have our guest here, Wayne Chang, who was just on the episode that we recorded. And uh, we brought you here, Wayne, because there was a topic we didn't get a chance to, to cover. It was a little technical, a little detailed, but we teased it. And, you know, uh, we got we to gotta fulfill the, the, the tease uh, need. We, we've got to tell them a little bit about this trilemma, which is called Zuko's A Triangle. Um, David, do you want to, before we get Wayne to comment on this, do you want to set this up for us? Uh, I'm going to share my screen so we can see what the, tr- the trilemma looks like. And uh, could you describe what we're seeing here? Yeah, so uh, we, we love our trilemmas uh, on Bankless, of course. And so we are looking at a triangle that uh, there are three points on this triangle. And according to Zuko's triangle, Zuko's trilemma, you only get to pick two. Uh, infamously, there's uh, the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the blockchain trilemma, I think, where you can only pick uh, secure, decentralized, and uh, what was the third one? Performant. Uh, performant. Yes, yes. Uh, high throughput. Yeah. Uh, and you can only pick two of those. Uh, it's been the, the big problem of blockchain and thing, uh, something that we hope that we've solved with Ethereum. Uh, so this is Zuko's trilemma. And then Wayne, I'm going to have to ask you to help me explain this a little bit more, but we're looking at a triangle and at the top, it's human meaningful. And then there's also another point decentralized. And then the third point secure. And according to trilemmas, you only get to pick two of these things. Can you explain what Zuko's triangle is and why this is important? Yeah, it is that trilemma in the context is within network protocols. So we're talking about things like blockchains, but also the TCP IP based internet, right? You have these numbers that are seemingly random and they do map to websites somehow. So we have to find ways to solve them, right? So I think that maybe a good way to understand it is going through some examples, right? So um, DNS, for example, is what the internet uses to solve the naming problem for that network protocol. And the trade-offs we make there is it's very human-readable, the names. Uh, you know, you can go to website.com, something that you can communicate by speaking to your fellow human, and that's fine. Bankless.com. Go to bankless.com. <laughs> bankless.com, <laughs> yep. And uh, you can also um, get a good amount of security through it in that um, you can, we have security protocols, uh, the lock, um, sorry, the lock icon on your browser, right, TLS, SSL, et cetera. Um, so you know you're talking to the right website, but a lot of this is centralized uh, under the certificate authorities that issue out the little lock icons, basically, and also who controls the ownership of the domain names. Well, there's you know a global organization in charge of all of that, and it has a board and uh, folks who have demonstrated a great track record over decades, by the way, in terms of just the governance there. But um, it is centralized. So uh, we compromise on that vector, right? So we look at other systems as well. Um, so it's important for us to have names so we can refer to things. So in blockchains, we might want to make payments. And it's really difficult to just remember all the Ethereum addresses, for example, that you want to make payments to. So we potentially want to give them more human meaningful names, right? So one way that the ecosystem has uh, found a new place in this trade-off is uh, basically uh, ENS names, for example, I think have been very popular, the Ethereum name service, where we can assign a human-readable name to an Ethereum address, and uh, you basically also have security. Um, One big problem that typically requires uh, centralization is this sort of double-spend problem for names. How do you know if there's like true ownership of a domain? There are actually many attacks where, you know, people can claim to have ownership of a domain or something and the traffic gets rerouted to the wrong way. Right. So, um, so 
So in some systems, there's a central actor that solves this and coordinates it to make sure that, you know, every name has an association, the ownership is correct. And um, I would say that for ENS, um, it's interesting. Decentralization itself is kind of a loaded term. It's multidimensional. What do you mean is decentralized about the system, right? Um, in the case of uh, ENS and Ethereum blockchain, it is decentralized in that it's decentralized across the different nodes. And there's no one node that can completely flip the table and you know change the whole registry of the human readable names mapped to Ethereum addresses. Um, but in other ways, it is centralized in that it's logically centralized to one smart contract, right? In that code base. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, you have to decide what kind of trade-off. So I think that the ghost triangle is uh, generally true, and you just find a new spot on that, especially if you view decentralization as multidimensional. And once upon a time. Uh, ENS, the project, was actually decently centralized in the hands of Brantley Milligan and Nick Johnson. Well, they actually used a smart contract and smart contracts to take away power. So like it's saying ENS was centralized doesn't mean that you could buy an ENS name and then Brantley Milligan could revoke that from you. He never had that power, but he did have a, like it did. It was central at one point in time, but then they made it into a DAO. And so a DAO mm -hmm. kind of did push uh, the Zuko's triangle to a more solved state in that we yeah. were able to maintain decentralization while also having human readable names. Yeah, I think that um, getting the properties uh, for those definitions of decentralization is definitely something we've moved towards with a, a good uh, uh, system of governance. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's awesome, Wayne. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that to uh, Bankless uh, premium subscribers. Um, they certainly appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we'll let you go. Cheers. All right. So that was Zuko's triangle. Uh, Wayne, Wayne is down left. So it's just you and I, David. Uh, signing with Ethereum. Now we get to talk shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing bad to say about Wayne. No, He's just like <laughs> really great. Um, yeah. Typical kind of uh, developer conversation, which is mm -hmm. very precise in terms of uh you know statements um mm -hmm. very concrete you can tell he's done this before like yeah he's had, and also he's had to explain what authentication and identification had, yeah yeah he's had to explain this a lot oh uh, you know um i think one thing i always like about kind of the developer persona of the developer researcher persona of people like wayne is like i can tell that he is bubbling with yeah. energy and excitement yeah, under the he surface he can't sit still he wasn't able to right. sit still if you're watching it's, the video it's just not it's not like a kind of like a i don't know maybe a, a marketing person or a narrative person where they're just like their their hands are waving they're really excited about it and you know the voice gets really loud mm -hmm. um you know wayne just speaks in a matter-of-fact way like many developers but like brimming with energy and excitement about mm -hmm. the potential of this thing right. Right. Uh, and that, that, that kind of thing is pretty, pretty infectious to me. I can 100%. see that. Yeah. I, I wanted to find out, um, if we had a longer conversation, I would love to find out more about Wayne's story, to be honest. Um, it's almost like a kind of a layer zero type story. I bet yeah. he said he came in Ethereum in 2017 and he started, uh, consensus and he started mm -hmm. working on, um, you know, uh, signing with Ethereum soon after mm -hmm. just of all the things to fall in love with uh, on Ethereum, why identity? Yeah. Um, 
Like I kind of yeah, what's see the why. backstory there? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's got to be the most important thing that that Ethereum's working on. Then, like, even it really like, is. So you were uh, we cut out this clip out of the podcast. You were we were closing down the podcast, and you had to go run to go quiet your barking dog. But I was talking yes. to Wayne very briefly in that moment. I was just saying, hey man, I really think this episode is going to make really big waves. This is like yeah. a big deal episode, and he, and his response was like, and it's like this is on the same vein in the same vein of just like developers having like their their dev brain it's like he's like oh i'm just like really happy that people are like interested in this and this concept i'm like dude are you serious Dude, you this guys is, freaking change the world what are you doing so big <laughs> this is a huge deal man this isn't yeah. some like niche technology that's in uh, some corner of the internet this is the internet very important yeah important uh-huh. uh the the type of thing that could topple uh, authoritarian nation states, right? right? I mean, yeah. it's just like, like of course, we're think about the historical <laughs> significance of this. Just like um, super humble and modest, and and yeah. sometimes, like as a dev, probably like t- big tunnel vision. Kind of like uh, the the other story he just told was we were just talking to to Wayne about this. Is like uh, Zuko. Uh, it's talking about like other big leaders in the crypto space and Zuko's at East yeah. Denver selling like, Hey, let me show you Zcash. And Zuko's yeah. just like super tunnel vision and the thing he cares about, which is Zcash. And I, I bet you it's the same thing for Wayne. He's just like kind of maybe has lost, uh, the full vision and scope of how this is like. The, so, Com- the social impact on the yes, world that uh-huh. the thing the, that you're doing is the infinite and in order like uh, consequences of of what he's building. Yeah. But if you were to consider all of that, it could kind of blow your mind, yeah. right? Like it could just kind of um, yeah, you can't keep it in your brain all the time. I guess yeah, you can't keep it in your brain all the time. And at some level, that's that's sort of what you know what we do on Bankless. <laughs> we try to draw these stories out there, and we just yeah. like extrapolate. We're like, oh, this really cool thing is stuck in sort of the dev world and tech speak mm-hmm. and EIPs and all right. of this, let's talk about what this would mean right. once it's deployed, once it right. catches on, once it goes mainstream. That to me is the most exciting. It's just like, it's like, um, li- like it's like sci-fi only it's playing out in real world. Right. Mm-hmm. And we just get to be kind of like extrapolators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the- like, there are certain episodes um, that people, whenever I go out to conferences, you ha- you don't frequently get this experience, right? Because I know you don't go no, to conferences. But you, went to, you. you went to permission. <laughs> I bet you had this conversation once or twice. Is like somebody probably came up to you and it's like, hey, I listen to frequently. It's the crypto renaissance, but not always. Um, it's uh, I listened to the, that this one episode on Bankless and it like totally changed my perception as to how the world works. And then that was the moment I got into Ethereum. I yeah. bet this episode is uh, th- is that for many, so? many, many, many people. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, um, we're not necessarily getting a bunch of new listeners in this state in the market, <laughs> but I think uh, with some recurring recommendations that it can it can be that one. Get well, mainly because it's a, it's a non, like most people, the meme about crypto is you come for the money and stay for the tech, right? This is a non-financial use case of private keys. Yeah. And that attracts a different set of people that wouldn't have otherwise have come for I'm DeFi just like, tokens or here's NFTs the thing. or whatever. I'm not here for the money. May I say that? But like, I'm not here for the money. I'm here for the freedom. Yes, and which money is money is a part of that. It's, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. But it's not all of that. And so, what do I see? Like, like, and by the way, I actually mean getting wealthy can be part of being here yeah. for the for the freedom, yes. yeah. because without your financial independence. Um, you don't really have your freedom, right. like this idea yeah. of wage slavery. But what's exciting about crypto is not just the number freaking go up. If that's all right. you care about is the quote unquote money, you are not 
seeing the potential of what crypto right. actually is. It's freedom. Then it's, you're just a slave to the money. There you go. Still yeah. a slave, aren't you? And then so this is um this does from a freedom perspective to money. Uh, this does the same thing to identity as what crypto is trying to do to money. Mm. It's it separates this idea and like the Bitcoin community's master meme artists, like brilliant. Um, mm. th- come up with this idea of separation of money from state, right? We separate right. church from state, separate money from state. This is separating identity from state, right? Just as Global. big, right? Just as big. And um, arguably bigger, right? Because like identity is what it means to be human, right? Like you can, you can forget about money in some respects. You can't forget about who you are. And it goes so well together and Mm -hmm. we need it at this time and place because, you know, who, who is not trustworthy as the stewards of our money, uh, central banks, Banks, right? That's the theme of the the bankless podcast. Uh, who's not trustworthy as the stewards of our identity, web two companies, Mm-hmm. Nation nation states can't adapt quick enough to give us something internet native either. Even mm-hmm. if you trust nation states to to be an a guardian or arbiter of your identity, it's not going to innovate fast enough. It's not going to give mm-hmm. you a programmable identity, uh, and we can't leave that to big tech companies who will centralize and exploit and rent seek. Can we? No. Mm-hmm. The people of the internet need an internet uh, self sovereign, internet native digital identity that they own. And the way forward is cryptography. It's private keys in people's hands. That That's what's so magical about this solution. And there's no token to pump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no token but to pump That's here. probably why it's like, hasn't caught on so much as a, as a topic is like, that's it. It's hard to get attention on things that don't pump. Yeah. But I love like, um, this is a story that's just not going to be reported about kind of the good. This is purely a public good. How yeah. can anybody be mad about this? Right. How can anybody see this as anything other than, um, you know, freedom uh, technology, freedom technology for the people. There's mm-hmm. not even a token to pump, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is just what it says it is, which is we want to give identity on the internet back to individuals. Um, yeah, I can't wait exciting. for someone on Twitter to reply to this. Be like, how much did Spruce ID pay you to have them on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, how much did they pay us, David? <laughs> <laughs> they, they're a public goods. They don't, I don't think they, they have, don't any, have any money. money. <laughs> well, I think they are funded by something. Like they have, it's kind of. Um, There's probably there was probably some software studio. If you guys are familiar it, yeah. with um, the Red, Red Hat model, that was sort of my mental shortcut for um, mm-hmm. you know Red, Red Hat is a company that but is public maintainers of um, right. Linux. And open source tools, and then they create support licenses on top of that to make money. I think that's what um, right. Wayne is trying to do with Spruce. But it's a public good, man. Yeah. Um, Sorry, anyway. that was that was the Twitter trolls invading my brain. Sorry, bankless. Does listeners. that happen often to you? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it's been relentless lately. One aspect I was thinking about to change subjects um, uh, is that uh, there was that line in that uh, Josh Rosenthal would uh, say in our Crypto Renaissance podcast, but then he's also repeated it on stage at Permissionless, is that like pre-Renaissance you didn't know that you were captured, right? Oh, like, yeah. And he correlated <laughs> that, moved that forward to like where we are today is like, well, you are you are captured by your bank. You're captured by your payment processors. You're captured. And this was one of those conversations. And so like... And this is also the same trajectory with, as it relates to money out of crypto is like, like you said, Bitcoiners, uh, uh, you know, f- separate money from state. And Michael Saylor has been tweeting out um, 
fix the money and then fix the world, right? Implying that if you fix the money, then then you fix the world. One of the reasons why like I'm just more resonant with the Ethereum ecosystem is that like Bitcoin is like, all right, the money, the money as a concept is sick. It's ill and it needs to be fixed. And once we can fix that, then the world is fixed. And I'm going, this is, oh, man, this is winding. Uh, I really got, fell in love with uh, positive psychology, which kind of had the same uh, meme, which was the institution of psychology is taking sick people and making them healthy again, making them normal. But positive psychology was, all right, normal people can apply principles of good psychological health and become even better. Yeah, did and you that's ever what read I, that book, uh, Happiness? No. Uh, it's all about that. Sorry. It's just a book I read about positive psychology. Yeah. I think that's the book. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Um, and so like Bitcoin is like, all right, the money is sick. Let's fix it again so that, you know, it's not sick anymore. And I, this is what I see with Ethereum is like, okay, but also we can make JPEG tokens too. And that's more fun. And there's like, uh, and this was my talk at ETH Denver last year is like, we actually can just like unlock financial assets that are related to human creativity and that's some that's a superpower that we've never had before humans can now create DAOs out of out of a token and they can create jpeg nfts and they can do things with financial assets that are just much more creative than what you would ever be able to get on wall street so it's going from just like not just fixing the money to making it sick to normal but taking the world of finance and being like okay let's inject some creativity and some culture into finance and making that an improvement and I'm seeing that same thing with identity and sign in with Ethereum is like, all right, our identity is broken because it's turned into a commodity inside of Web2. Sign in with Ethereum can fix that by making it go from sick to normal. But then with that whole like data vault, you go beyond just normal into the into the special, into the the, yeah. the high agency, like like I don't know, this is not the right word, but super healthy in the sense that you can, your identity is allowed to flourish, right? Like, like I said at the beginning of the episode, your identity is infinite, but it's constrained by the systems that inhabit it. And now with a data vault and identity vault assigned with Ethereum paradigm, the, uh, your identity can finally maximally flourish in an unconstrained way because now like the, the service, the free market of service providers for people who are providing you little packets of identity for you to put in your data vault that is no longer gate kept by what Web2 is and is now open to the free market for people to compete. It's like, hey, here's a useful packet of data that represents something about you. You want to put it in your data vault? And you're like, sure, or no. But either way, like you will create a party in your data vault. Yeah, I, that, that resonates with me. And by the way, that book is not called Happiness. It's called The, the Happiness Advantage by uh, Sean Acor that, that I read a long time ago about positive uh, psychology and its impact. But um, but I think what you're saying is another way to say it is... Um, uh, the reason I'm optimistic after that episode is not because I think the entire world or a majority of the world will just suddenly get pilled on on self-sovereign identity and freedom for its own sake mm -hmm. and just be like, you guys are right. I don't want Facebook to control. No, they won't. Right. They'll come for the user experience. They yeah. always do. It'll make their people, lives better. Exactly. People are lazy. Most people are not um, being actively censored right now. So what you were just saying is, Hey, once we unleash the innovation potential, people will actually come to uh, sign in with Ethereum for the features, for the user experience, because it's better than sign in with Apple and sign in with Google. And that is our thesis as well for DeFi. It's not that 
um, necessarily your bank will actively censor you or in whatever jurisdiction you live in, inflation will go wild and the central bank will screw you. Some of that will happen for sure, 100%. Mm-hmm. And those people will, will see these case for DeFi earlier. But it will be because even if you have a decent uh, banking system, DeFi will just be so much freaking better. It'll be better. And it, and it already is in small ways. I think the same, those exact mental models that you developed to understand right. how um, DeFi will leapfrog uh, banks and the, like under the kind of the bankless thesis, apply those same mental models here because I think it plays yeah. out the same way, right? The, mm-hmm. the ability to bring your identity and your data with you to an app, what's that even unleash? We don't even know yet, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just a much better, more innovative new class of applications that we we can't imagine at this point and people are ultimately going to come for that experience that's why this Mm -hmm. is going to win and that's why this is not just a you know a mission centered come on let's let's all if we all work together we'll all get our freedom (laughs) back that will never work we're not naive enough to think that but i think this will innovation always works yeah one of the topics of conversation uh i've always wanted i've always enjoyed exploring is like in what ways for some reason just like crypto allows you to identify yourself better. Like at least that's been a personal journey for me and my, my time in crypto is like who I am as a person. I wouldn't be as in tuned with who I am as a person if it wasn't for crypto. Like crypto is like, it allows you to discover who you are. And maybe that's like nebulous, but I think with this whole sign in with Ethereum paradigm and this idea of a data vault for you to choose to put little packets of data into your little data vault, you will actually be able to literally look at who you are based on the choices that you've made about what data you've chosen to put well, in your data Well, you're not just along for the ride, are you? Right. Yeah. It's like you are taking conscious choices of just like what you decide, who, how you decide to represent yourself. And so you'll actually be able to look in your data vault over, as you've collected little objects about yourself over time and space and be like, that's who I am. Like that's all that data that I've collected. And because it's totally generalizable and not gate kept by any sort of institution, it's not like, it's not an insult to say that you are merely the data that you have in your vault. You are definitely more than that. But it's like the idea of the free market and working its way into providing you with little data packets for you to put in your data vault means that the the free market is going to try and produce something of value that you deem valuable. That you're like, okay, I will take that data and put it in my data vault. That's useful for me. And then over time, you actually grow a metaverse version identity of yourself. Like, hmm, that's me. That's what I am. Those are the choices that I've made. That's the the my timeline of history. Like, I think that's kind of cool. I think it is too. And if all of this, if you're listening to this and you're just like being like, uh, I don't quite see it. What are you mm-hmm. guys talking about? Data vaults? Like, what do you mean? What can I actually do? I, I get that. I, I kind of share this to share that to, to me. Identity is where like Ethereum smart contracts money was in like 2016 or something. Yeah. It's still a little yeah. bit pre-use case. So the stuff that David and I are talking about is bring your data vault to an application right? Um, it's super early days. And, um, I think I don't let that, um, don't let that, uh, you know, I guess fool you about the, the promise of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember Ethereum in 2016 when these ideas of smart contracts, which is very vague and all we had was- Yeah. The, what did we do? We made Twitter on Ethereum. You made, yeah. we had Peepeth There's where you could be write some tweets weird... as transactions. <laughs> Never ever worked. Uber. And it was like, look at now. Decentralized Uber on Ethereum. Somebody's yeah. doing that. Um, so there'll be some, some weird tracks and traces, but like ultimately 
I think that this thing will work. Um, I think we'll get both phase one, which is money and phase two out of this crypto movement. If we get that, we add those layers, make them decentralized for the internet. And that is our legacy. And when I say ours, I mean, crypto's legacy. That's Mm -hmm. enough, man. We did it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that will feel very good. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, the the quote that you signed off with, in phase one, we take back our money. In phase two, we take back our identity. There's actually something sneaky going on there uh, because uh, to what um, uh, uh, Wayne was saying is that like, all right, well, what is identity? And I think if we started to go through about like all of these things that make up our identity as it relates to our like identity vaults, right? Like um, Spotify issues you a little data packet that says you are the number one listener of your favorite artist. And you put that in your little data vault and you do that with your driver's license and you do that with your i don't know you keep on going and you keep on going like is is your is your spotify most listened to your identity no absolutely not uh is like insert your another use case here there's nothing that is actually your identity it's only in aggregate and so when i say like you say when face who we take back our identity i'm saying that's sneaky Identity is just everything, bro. It's the full scope of the internet. It's like every other use case possible. Yeah, what I mean is um, they just, in Web2, they own our identity right now. Like we don't have the ability to go strip up a piece and put it in our data packet and share it with, Mm -hmm. you know, one uh, provider or another. It's just basically, it's just very walled. It's very defined. You log into this app and here's what I'll give you access to. And here's the data about you and I'll collect that and I'll harvest Mm it. Um, but yeah, identity. We but, are your data vaults. I feel like we could have a full podcast on just the concept of identity that is just doesn't even talk about technology or or digital right. or or like what is identity, David? I still don't know if I know. Like, I think we need to talk to Sam Harris on that one. There's a yeah. There's a social context for identity. There's an individual. Like, there's um some deep philosophy mm-hmm. on this concept that um, mm-hmm. I don't think we've tapped into uh, yet either. Mm-hmm. But we could. It's bankless, mm-hmm. so we could go anywhere we want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think if, uh, let's see, what, what are the right keywords to search? If you really want to get uh, uh, get your brain broken, just look at your... Um, Is this a psychology so like, topic, like identity? A little bit. So this? like... Uh, talking about this uh, in your uh, undergrad? Uh, so like if you, I can't remember the terms, but like uh, your people mostly think that who they are are their brain, right? But your brain also has a brainstem and your brainstem goes all the way down your spine, right? There's like a cord of neurons that go all the way down your spine. And then those neurons start to branch out from the vertebra uh, and it goes out into like the rest of your body. And it's like a it's like a tree structure, right? Like the trunk is the is the uh, stem goes up to your brain. And then there's like, you know a billion neurons that go out to the rest of your body. And actually there's no meaningful difference between your brain and like a neuron that's in your fingertip. Right. And that's when that neuron ends is when you're the rest of your body starts, but that neuron in your fingertip is doing the same amount of processing as like your prefrontal cortex as it comes to like neural activity. Right. And so like who you are doesn't well, ta- have a clear line. Dude, you're talking about the concept of self, which is even yes. like more basement than even I was talking yes. about. Yes. There's self and then there's right. this concept of identity. Within right. the concept of identity, there's also this kind of, you know, social element. Much mm-hmm. of, So much of your identity is what others think of you or how you fit mm-hmm. in a particular tribe or a community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That in itself is interesting. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is all part of the story of... Uh, humanity's transition into the digital, isn't it? 
Right. And we want our digital systems to reflect some of those, um, so those attributes, and we should have the ability to control them. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. I don't know where where else do we go uh, on our identity quest? We just uh, besides signing in with Ethereum, are there other? Um, I guess we wait kind of for some use cases. I think this one has to yeah sit a little bit. Um, this has to steep. Yeah, so that's just I was telling I was telling uh, Wayne like, man, I think people are going to listen to this episode, and you're going you're going to get like a tidal wave of people like pinging you about stuff about what. Uh, Do you I think, think I think a lot of people are going to like more seriously think about integrating signing with Ethereum on their website, like non crypto people or just crypto people. No, whoever whoever listens to that episode, I think it'll, it well that that was his um his roadmap for how this how signing with Ethereum gets adopted is that uh crypto gets really it gets successful. adopted by web3 first yeah and then and then we start to fill in our data vaults and then it gets adopted by like everyone else because we start to make these things useful uh and so like all of the you web3 people who like see that vision and be like okay let's like well for, first we have to spec it out and then once that gets done like all right then we integrate it and then we go from there that is a precondition that is a precondition certainly it's like i don't think you're going to have signing with ethereum be successful and get the network effect unless some of the core crypto use cases are successful yeah. and get network right. effect so that's why there's a phase 1 and phase 2 uh in my mind i guess last question to you is like uh all right let's talk about our bags david shall we it's not just about our bags but it's a little bit about our bags isn't it um, what does this do? Is, how is this going to do? do for what Ether? does this do for the price of ETH? <laughs> you, <laughs> like, I know there's no direct look. There's no EIP. Um, there's no. There's no burn. Right. Um, for if identity, somebody yeah. signs in with Ethereum, you don't. You I mean, don't. How get... dystopian would that be if the leading blockchain was like you have to pay a fee to access your data vault? Not only would it be dystopian, it would be game theoretically like unsound because some other blockchain right. would just do it and not charge. Right. Right. Um, right, right. Yeah. But like, what does this do for ETH? Yeah, what does this do for ETH? Um, I think it just like drives a, a big moat between Ethereum, the Ethereum ecosystem, and all other ecosystems. I think, and it, so it's just branding. I think and adoption. It improves the quality of our wallets, doesn't it? Yeah, and the ecosystem the supporting wallets. our wallets. Yeah. It, it fattens out, um, makes our applications much more useful. Mm. Um, I think that's great. I can't imagine Our web apps more useful. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine this all going mainstream without some sort of smart contract wallet, like social identity system, right? Like that has to be a precursor right. and this feeds into that. Um, this is why like during the alt layer one wars, people are like, uh, well, you, you guys don't understand, like we need cheap transaction fees. I'm like, is there somebody in the Solana ecosystem working on identity and uh, like sign in with Ethereum standards? I don't know. Is there? And no, <laughs> it's not. And so like, there's so many just like deep frontier level shit. And like all of these crypto newcomers are like, David and Ryan don't understand. You need cheap transactions. I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> guys, come on. Just wait a little bit. Just wait it. Yeah. about a year. Wait till 2023. <laughs> then you'll get it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I I do think it's um bullish ETH in general. I, it's I, just I, like it's just like there's only positive second order consequences. There's just no actual real consequence of is like there a narrative sign benefit? in with Ethereum. Yeah, it's a yo, big narrative benefit. Yo, yeah. in, you can own a portion of identity on the internet. Is that a narrative that ever spins up and like <laughs> somebody's like, oh, like digital identity is so investable right now? No, because you, you can't you can't own. I do think there's like a bunch of like identity startups out there who are who are trying to be like we're going to be the identity platform. Yeah, right. I think Ether is a more 
solid exposure to web through identity than any sort of actual identity startup in my mind. Oh, so you do think that there's a, like, do you do think that, um, yeah, well, I'm just cause I'm bullish for price. Yeah, I do think, of course it's bullish for price but because it's can, bullish for Ethereum adoption, but you can't see it on the, is there a way where you could see, I guess you don't see that deal. It's like some right. sort of aggregate count of, well, ETH address, uh, new account creation activity would be just a great metric for this, I think. Do you know? Yeah, but you don't, ha- you don't have to... The only way that we know of new accounts on Ethereum is that they make a transaction. You don't actually need to make a transaction on Ethereum to use sign-in with Ethereum. But if sign-in with Ethereum does get like hit a Cambrian explosion of adoption... You would you'll see, see it on chain somewhere. You'll see it on chain because people will still like, oh, like, well, now I have an Ethereum address. And so I might as well start doing some Ethereum stuff because I already have the private keys and I'm already. Well, ready I think to go. that's it. It gets private keys in the hands of more people and yeah. they're more likely to yeah. start getting in the ecosystem. So it's right. probably bullish um, user adoption that way. It's yes, it's bullish for user adoption. Yeah. And, and also for the branding of Ethereum as like the Silicon Valley killer, because that's good branding these days. Silicon Valley killer is good branding. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you go, guys. That's signing with Ethereum. We covered it. Uh, good episode, David. Um, Cheers. Thanks.